0: All right, good morning again. I want to uh, invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. We have been going uh, week by week, verse by verse through this uh, amazing Gospel and have reached the um, portion of John that takes us through a series of, of mock trials. It began uh, in verse 13 when our Lord bound is first taken to the house of Annas. Annas, uh, though the former high priest, was still one of the most powerful figures in Jewish hierarchy. And he holds the first hearing, looking to dig up some dirt on the, the Lord Jesus to attrap him with his words in order to execute him. These religious leaders have nothing but disdain for the Lord and were willing to do whatever it took to get rid of him. But why all this hatred? Well, for starters, Jesus confronted their hypocrisy. Jesus confronted their hypocrisy. He has said, You are of your father, the devil. He has condemned their orig- a religion as apostate. He has told the vast crowds that they were blind guides leading the blind, he said that they tied up heavy burdens too hard to bear and laid them upon the people's shoulders, that they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, that they were like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly they appear beautiful, but within they were full of dead man's bones. He called them serpents brood of vipers. He said to them, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So for years, Jesus had condemned their hypocrisy publicly and spurred on by their hatred and jealousy for Jesus and by the fact that this Galilean, this Jesus of Nazareth, called God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jewish leaders had had enough, and after years of physically trying to kill him, they now had Jesus arrested in their custody. But in order to kill him, they needed to trump up a charge. Well, the hearing before Annas really goes nowhere. So in verse 24, Annas sends Jesus bound to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest. Before Caiaphas, we learn from the other gospel accounts that the chief priests and the Council of Sanhedrin kept trying to produce false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. Well, that trial ends with a made-up charge of blasphemy. Now, since it was illegal to have hearings in the middle of night in secrecy, they legitimized it by meeting again at the crack of dawn. Matthew 27 one says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. So last week we covered the first phase of Pilate's trial, we ended in verse 38, we continue this morning in verse 39, and we'll read right through to chapter 19, verse 16. Um, The Lord Jesus Christ is bound, he is beaten, he is bloodied, and at this point he is brought out before a, a frenzied mob who had gathered outside of Pilate's headquarters on the colonnade. And we pick the story back up with Pilate speaking in verse 39. Pilate said, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Our uh, passage today really highlights the the darkened and depraved heart of man up against the the light and the majesty and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, who deserved to be welcomed and worshipped more by the people of Israel than the Lord Jesus Christ? Would there ever come another who could do what he did Would there ever come another who could raise the dead, give sight to the blind, be living water to the thirsty, or the bread of life to the hungry? Would there ever come another who would love the Father as Jesus did, who could love neighbor as self the way that he had, who could love so many sacrificially, Would there ever come another who would be the perfect, sinless son of God, who would give his life as a ransom for many? The answer is a resounding no. There would never come another like the Lord Jesus Christ. In our verses this morning, we see mankind sink to its all-time low, and at the very same time, we see Jesus here at his very best fearless in the face of his own death, silent as he endured unspeakable pain and torment on our behalf. And all the way through, we see Jesus trusting in the sovereignty of God. There is much for us to gleam here. And as John does so often throughout his gospel, he presents the majesty and glory of Christ, even as he is being beaten, unjustly sentenced to death, And led away to be crucified. And John does this by contrasting him. With the weakness. And worldliness of Pilate. So I broke our verses up into three sections. This morning. Uh, First I want you to notice. Pilate's failed proposals. Pilate's failed proposals. Pilate had already tried unsuccessfully. To rid himself of this case. He wants nothing to do with it. Back in verse 31, he already tried to tell these Jewish leaders, take him yourself and judge him. But they threw it back in his face, Roman law, which permitted them from carrying out capital punishment. And then you don't see it here in John's gospel, but between verses thirty and 39, Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod, hoping that he would deal with him. Going to read about that in Luke chapter 23, but all Herod does is mock Jesus with scorn and ridicule, and he sends him back to Pilate. And so when we come to verse 39, Jesus is back in front of Pilate, and all he wants to do is get out of this with some semblance of his own nobility. He wants to get out of it in some way. Just way, but the pressure is mounting. He knows Jesus is innocent. I find him not guilty, he said. He knows this whole thing is a plot by the Jewish leaders to have Jesus murdered. He knows that it's out of envy. Jesus is no criminal, he is no threat to Rome, he's no threat to the security of Jerusalem. But the Jews the Jewish leaders are a threat to Pilate because they know if the people begin to riot and Pilate loses control of Jerusalem yet again, he's out as governor. Pilate's on thin ice. He cannot afford another revolt as there were many under his watch. So the Jewish leaders were essentially blackmailing Pilate here in order to do their dirty work. When Pilate tries to release him in verse 12, the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. And Tiberius, who was the Caesar at the time, was very quick to remove and just as quick to execute inadequate governors. So Pilate comes up with a number of proposals. So he's trying to wiggle out of this thing. The first one we see is in verse 39. So Pilate says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? You can hear the scorn and mockery here in Pilate's voice by calling Jesus the king of the Jews. He's not only mocking the Lord as king, but he's also mocking the Jewish leaders also who vehemently rejected Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, as their king. So Pilate says, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Verse 40, They cried out again and said, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Uh, John calls Barabbas here a robber, which he, he was. Uh, But Mark and Luke also tell us that he was in prison for the insurrection in the city of Jerusalem and for murder. So in other words, Barabbas was a terrorist. He's no petty criminal. He is a man of great violence. So Pilate's thinking here, here's the offer. Do you want Jesus, who we know is the perfect sinless son of, of God or do you want Barabbas the murderer back onto the streets easy right but here's the the depravity and blindness of the human heart held captive by sin not this man they cried out but Barabbas release Barabbas the murderer and crucify the Christ Now, what's interesting is his name Barabbas. What's it mean? Bar means son of. What does Abba mean? Father. So it means son of the father. So you have the human son of the father and the divine son of the father standing side by side in God's divine providence that he aligns. The the human Uh, temporal son of the father next to the holy eternal biggest son of the father who would they choose well these were godless men they had no interest in the son of the father from heaven they only wanted the son of the father from earth the temporal during Peter's second sermon he said in Acts 3 Verse 14, you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life. After they screamed for Barabbas, Pilate said in Matthew chapter 27, verse 22, then what shall I do with Jesus who was called the Christ? They all said, crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! They were like sharks in in blood-infested waters. They smelled blood, and they wanted more. Mark 15 tells us that the chief priests then stirred up the crowds, and they were shouting even louder, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate, wanting to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them. Well, in a uh, last desperate attempt to appease this devilish mob, John chapter 9, verse 1 says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Scourging was a uh, hideously cruel form of punishment the victim was often stripped naked his hands were were chained or bound around a, a wooden post and then several Roman soldiers would take turns whipping the Lord Jesus Christ the instrument that the Romans used of torture for their victims consisted of a short wooden handle to which several leather thongs were fastened to it, each with jagged pieces of bone and metal and glass attached to the end of it. And when the victim was flogged or scourged, the body would be literally ripped to shreds. It would be lacerated to the point that muscles, bones, and even internal organs would be exposed. So horrible was this punishment. The the Roman citizens were exempt from it. We learn. And again. We must not see Jesus. As the victim here. But as the one who willingly. And intentionally. laid down his life as a payment. For our sins. Well as Jesus said earlier. In the garden. This hour and the power of darkness. Are yours. And so in verses two and three, the darkness continues. It says in verse two, "And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. This was a, a mock coronation to do all that they could to, to belittle the Lord Jesus Christ. This crown made of thorns was probably made of a, a date uh, palm thorns, um, easy, easily, several inches long. And it says they put it on his head which would indicate that they pushed it down upon his skull, piercing the skin. Blood would be dripping, pouring down the good Lord's face and they arrayed him in a purple robe just to further humiliate the Lord Jesus Christ as a king. They dress him up in a robe. Matthew 27 adds that the soldiers then put a reed into his right hand and they kept kneeling down before him and mocked him and spat on him and took the reed from him and began to beat him over the head. And then in verse 3, they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! A a total humiliation of the Son of God. And then it says, and they, they struck him, With their hands. This was the sacrifice that our dear Lord endured. Before he even arrived at Calvary's cross. And we might ask ourselves here. Why would God allow his son to go through this whole drawn out painful ordeal? Why not just bypass the the trial and, and just take him to enough suffering at the cross? Why all of this? And while only God knows these answers, can we not say it is in part to prepare us for the suffering that we might endure? That we might be able to identify all the more with a suffering Savior? Is this not an encouragement to us as we would see more vividly the ordeal that He went through as He would die in our place? What encouragement this is to a battered mother. You have a Savior who has gone through the exact pain you have. He knows exactly what it is that you're going through. This is a word of encouragement to every missionary who's been severely beaten and tortured. You have a Savior who is at the right hand of God the Father who is a sympathetic high priest who knows what it is to be subjected to the worst kind of torture. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Our Lord is is able to sympathize in, in every respect, In all of our weakness and all of our struggles, not just spiritually uh, concerning temptation and sin, but physically and emotionally also. He's not some stoic high priest. Jesus understands more than just intellectually when his people go through unjust suffering and even extreme bouts of torment because he's been there. He stepped into our skin. The word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. He he was subjected to the worst treatment that anyone could be subjected to. So don't ever think for a minute that our Lord can't understand whatever it is that you may be going through. Well, this takes us to uh, verses 4 and 5 as Pilate hopes This will appease them. So he says in verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And again, Pilate finds no guilt, no fault in Jesus. Perhaps he thought the scourging and the beatings would finally satisfy these Jewish leaders or maybe it would provoke some kind of sympathy maybe from, from the crowd, from the people. Maybe he thought the humiliation would finally be enough for them. I find no guilt in him. Verse 5, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And this is just a horrific sight. Isaiah and other prophecies suggest that he was unrecognizable as a man. This is the son of God now being brought out. He's being paraded around. A man so beaten, his face is bruised and bloodied. He's unrecognizable. His body is covered with with gashing wounds all over them. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Look, here he is. The man. He's nothing but a man. What possible threat could this man be? What more do you want me to do? I've scourged him. I've beaten him. What more could you possibly want from him? As Pilate presents Jesus here to the Jewish leaders and all they can do is see a blasphemer and someone who wants to take away their power and their position. Remember, that was their fear. They said back in John chapter 11, if we let him go on like this, go on doing all these miracles, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they'll take away both our place and our nation. As Jesus said, these were blind guides leading the blind. And since they were spiritually blinded, they simply cannot see Jesus for who he truly is. In fact, Isaiah had prophesied this scene some six or 700 years before this. In Isaiah 53, he he describes Israel's future confession. Isaiah 53 in verse 1, he says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look upon him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, when the suffering servant comes, he will arise in lowly conditions, like, say, all those sticks up there in Galilee, the dust bowl up north. There'll be nothing special about his appearance. There'll be no majesty about him as a king that we should desire him for fleshly reasons. In fact, in verse 3, he will be despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. The prophet foresaw Messiah being despised and rejected by men. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has borne our sin. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, they were convinced he deserved punishment. That he had blasphemed the living God. And God was on their side for killing him. Oh, the deception that Satan brings in the wicked and foolishness of men's hearts. Verse 5 of Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, And like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Beloved, I hope you can see the majesty and the glory that breaks through all of this darkness. Though the lamb here is silent and evil looks like it's winning, dearly beloved, no, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. This is the substitutionary atonement. Christ took the chastisement upon himself that brought us peace, peace with God. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Well, we return to our text in verse 6. John 19, verse 6 and It's not enough that Jesus has been flogged and beaten. No. As I said before, these are like sharks in blood-infested waters. They want more blood. They want him dead. So we read, When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And again, remind you, these are the chief priests of Israel. How hardened must their hearts be Well, Pilate recognizes his strategies to get out of this thing has failed. So in the middle of verse 6, he responds with dismissive indignation and disgust. Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. He's essentially saying to these Jews, You bring this man to me for a trial, yet you won't accept my judgment. I'm through with you. I'm done. Pilate may have been through the Jews. The Jews were not through with him. Realizing now that they have the upper hand. Verse 7, the Jews answered, Ah, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So instead of trying to get Jesus condemned on political grounds, such as an insurrectionist, they now wanted Pilate to sentence him based on God's own law. The law they are likely referring to is in Leviticus 24, 16, which says whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be surely be put to death. So the crime they want to hang on Jesus is blasphemy, claiming to be the Son of God, and now they demand his death. And, and rightly did the Jews remember that that was his claim. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. He used the very name of God for himself. The I am over and over again in John. And let me give you just one other cross reference for this in John chapter five, verse 18. This was right after the healing at the pool of Bethesda. It says for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father. Listen, making himself equal with God. You see, the Jews completely understood who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be God's only son, that he shared the same nature as God. He was God incarnate. I am the bread of life and I have come down out of heaven. They heard it loud and clear. He was God in human flesh. So they said in verse seven, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Well, I trust that you believe Jesus is the son of God and that he has come on a heavenly mission of salvation and redemption to do what only God could do. And he said that at the when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, his one and only son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons as he died in our place. And in his precious, perfect blood, he has washed us clean. Well, this brings us to the second section, verses 8 through 12. We see Pilate's fatal panic. As the situation deteriorates, Pilate's fears begin to increase. He's really in between a rock and a hard place. Notice what it says there in verse 8. It says, when Pilate heard the statement, what statement? That Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. More afraid, more afraid, more afraid. Of Caesar? More afraid of, of these Jews? Why does he panic over this statement about Jesus claiming to be the Son of God? One guess could be that though Pilate was cynical, he was also a superstitious man. And he was like every other Roman of the day. He believed in a whole pantheon of gods, little g. And they all had stories of the gods coming down in the life of men. We see this actually play out in Acts chapter 14. After Paul heals a man, the crowd comes around him. The gods, they said, have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. So when Pilate hears Jesus is the son of God, he probably fears, whoa, what have I done? What he might be realizing is, is I don't really know what to make of this guy. I, I know he's not a military king. But he's called the son of God. The, the word is, is that he's a miracle worker. Maybe he's one of the gods or a child of the gods. Who's come down to earth to confront me. Fueling pilots superstition. And fear, as we see over in Matthew's gospel, Pilate's wife sends him a message warning him. I had a dream. Have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly because of him. So from the pagan perspective, Pilate very well could be thinking, this could be worse than just the Jews. This could be worse than Caesar. The gods may have come down after me. I don't know, it's a guess. Pilate panicked. He panicked at the Son of God. Verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, and this is another reason I think this, where are you from? We already know from scripture, he knows he's from Galilee. He's a Galilean. Where are you from? I don't think he's asking, are you from Galilee? He's not asking geography. He's asking, did you come from above? Are you from the gods? Notice, but Jesus gave him no answer. That's judgment. Pilate has passed the point of no return. Pilate's heard the truth. He has rejected the truth. And now he would receive no further answer. Listen, God has immeasurable amounts of grace. But when men persist in rejecting the truth, God gives men over to their own devices. For example, Judges 10, 13 through 14 says, Yet you have forsaken me and serve other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you. In the time of your distress. Psalm 81. 11 through 12. But my people. Do not listen to my voice. And Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over. To the stubbornness of their heart. To walk in their own devices. Why was he silent? I don't know for sure. It doesn't say. But one thing I know. When God is silent. That's trouble. That's trouble. Verse 10, Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? In other words, how dare you not answer me? You're in my court. Do you not realize who it is that you are talking to? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Pilate shows his true colors. Do you know who I am? And what authority I have over your little life. He was appalled at Jesus' lack of respect for him. And what Jesus will have to say to him in verse 11 should register in every one of us and give very careful attention to this. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus' point is, Pilate, you're not in control of anything. You're merely a puppet on strings. And God in heaven is the one who has the ultimate authority. And the path that I am on has been marked out before the foundation of the world. And what authority you have is merely delegated authority. For it is God who places into office and it is God who will remove out of office The truth underscored in Daniel 2 and 4. And here is Jesus' unwavering confidence in the absolute God, the Father, over Pilate's life, over his own life, over Judas, over all of the circumstances, and in the face of his intimate death, Jesus remains absolutely calm. Because he is trusting in the overruling providence of God the Father. There's no fear here. Only faith. There's no trauma here. Only trust. And here's an example for you and me. Let us be like our Savior in hours of darkest trials. Let us remember that the Father has all authority. Over what might threaten us. Rather than being afraid like Pilate. Let us be like Jesus and be assured and and reassured that God has a plan. God has a purpose and that he's causing all things to work together for our good and for his glory. Look at the end of verse 11. Jesus says something interesting. He says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Who delivered Jesus over to Pilate? not Judas. Judas didn't deliver Jesus to Pilate. Caiaphas did. Caiaphas, priest, and the Sanhedrin. They have the greater sin. The greater sin did Pilate sin? Yes. Did the Roman executioners sin? Yes. But the greater sin is on the leaders of Israel. So mark it down. Jesus says there is greater sin can't tell you how many times I've heard that. In one sense, yes, sin is sin. But if you steal a loaf of bread or if you go out and murder somebody, God sees a difference. There is greater sin, greater sin. Well, in verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. We don't know what Pilate did. Apparently, he made some uh, additional efforts to, to release the Lord, but it's too late. The Jews have him by the throat. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. You notice the shift here? I thought the crime was blasphemy. Back in verse 7, they said the crime was he made himself out to be the son of God. Now they're shifted back to he opposes Caesar. Uh, This man claims to be a king. Manipulation. If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. So you know what Pilate's thinking? If I if I let this man go, these guys are gonna start a massive riot. Word will get back to Caesar. I'm finished. I am done. They've got him concerned. If you release this man, we're going to tell Caesar you have aligned yourself with another king. Remember. It was just earlier in the week that well over a half a million people sought after the Lord in his triumphant entry. And Pilate was well aware of that. If they find out that you've aligned yourself with another king who a half a million people went after, you'll lose your life, Pilate. Well, Pilate has to make a decision. This takes us to uh, number three. We close with Pilate's. Final pronouncement. His final pronouncement. Verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. So he he took a seat at the bench as, as judge. Here he is. At a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. So so Pilate sets up court to start to the final proceedings. Uh, verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It's early Friday morning Passover for these Judean Jews doesn't start until Friday night at sundown. So so right now it's the time of preparation. Galilean Jews, if you remember, like Jesus and the disciples, had celebrated Passover Thursday night in the upper room. So that's something kind of interesting. The Galileans uh, recognized the Passover Thursday night, the The Judean, the Jerusalem Jews, recognized it Friday night. Verse 14, it was about the sixth hour. If this is uh, Roman time, it's 6 a.m. If it's Jewish time, it's closer to 9 a.m. But all this is being rushed through overnight into these early morning hours. Before Pilate makes his verdict, verse 14, he says to the Jews, Behold your king. More scorn, more mockery, ridicule. Sarcasm. Pilate's probably even taunting the Jews. Here he is. Look at him. This is your king. Pilate's at the the Bama seat, the judgment seat. He's the judge, but it's the people who will pronounce the verdict. They cried out, away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate, now full of scorn and full of sarcasm, says to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered. We have no king but Caesar. This was the true blasphemy that thing. They knew who their king was. Listen to uh, Isaiah 33 verse 22. Just one of many verses. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. They literally will blaspheme God in order to kill Christ. Matthew 27, 25 tells us, and all the people said, let his blood be on us and on our children. We take full responsibility. Crucify him. Verse 16. So Pilate delivered him over to them, over to the executioners to be crucified. Pilate asked the question, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That's the question, isn't it? Are you with Pilate and you're just trying to absolve yourself of any sort of dealings with Christ? Are you with the Jews who cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him? Or do you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ who said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And, um, Isaiah 55, the prophet calls upon the people, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Look, it doesn't matter which category of unbelief you're in, all those categories end up in the same place, either heaven or hell. You cannot shed your responsibility to answer the question, what shall I do then with Jesus who was called the Christ? Your eternal destiny will be determined by the answer. Confess him as Lord. Stand with Christ. Why would you ever want to stand with anyone else? Well, I pray if you haven't confessed Christ as Lord, that God does a work in your heart today and that he gives you faith to believe. If God has put that on uh, your heart this morning, or if you need prayers, please come forward. And we'd love to pray with you or open up a Bible with you Um, and invite everyone else to please stand as we praise our Lord redeemed by the blood of the Lamb.